Chapter Twenty of In Freedom's Cause. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gabrielle C. In Freedom's Cause by G. A. Henty. Chapter Twenty, The Heiress of the Cares. While Archie was speaking, Marjorie had sat down on a fallen tree. She had not slept the night before and had been anxious and agitated the whole day. The excitement had kept her up, but she now felt completely worn out, and accepted without protest Archie's decision that a halt must be made. The men were already gathering sticks, and a bright fire soon blazed near the spot where she had seated herself. Airlunks of venison steaks were broiled in the flames. At Archie's earnest request, Marjorie tried to eat, but could with difficulty swallow a few morsels. A bower of green boughs was quickly made for her, and the ground thickly piled with fresh bracken, and Marjorie was in a very few minutes sound asleep at the fatigue and excitement of the day. With the first dawn of the morning, the men were on their feet. Fresh sticks were thrown on the fire and breakfast prepared, for the march would be a long and wearisome one. Breakfast is ready, Mistress Marjorie, Archie said, approaching the bower. And I am ready, too, the girl said blithely as she appeared at the entrance. The sleep has done wonders for me, and I feel brave and fresh again. I fear you must have thought me a terrible coward yesterday, but it all seemed so dreadful, such a wild and wicked thing to do, that I felt quite overwhelmed. Today you will find me ready for anything. I can never think you a coward, Archie said, after you faced the anger of that terrible uncle of yours for my sake, or rather, he added, for the sake of your word. And now I hope you'll eat something, for we have a long march through the forests and hills before us. Don't fear that I shall tire, she said. I am half a mountaineer myself, and, methinks, can keep on my feet as long as any man. The meal was hastily eaten, and then the party started on their way. I have been wondering, the girl said, as with light sat she kept pace with Archie's longer strides, how you came to know that I was in the convent. Archie looked surprised. "'How should I know, Mr. Smartray, but through your own messenger?' "'My own messenger!' Marjorie exclaimed. "'You are jesting, Sir Archie.' "'I am not so, fair lady,' he said. "'Surely you must remember that you sent a messenger to me "'with word that you are captive at St. Kenneth and he had my aid?' The girl stopped for a moment in her walk and gazed to her companion as if to assure herself that he was in earnest. "'You must be surely dreaming, Sir Archie,' she said, as she continued the walk, "'for assuredly I sent you no such message.' "'But, lady,' Archie said, holding out his hand, "'the messenger brought me as token that he had come from you this ring which he had given you, "'vowing that should you call me to your aid I would come immediately, even from a stricken field.' "'The blood had rushed into the girl's face as she saw the ring. "'Then she turned very pale. "'Sir Archibald Forbes,' she said in a low tone, after walking for a minute or two in silence. I feel disgrace in your eyes. How forward and unmaidenly must you have thought me thus to take advantage of a veil made from the impulse of sudden gratitude. No, indeed, lady, Archie said hotly, no such thought ever entered my mind. I should as soon doubt the holy virgin herself as to deem you capable of aught but what was sweet and womanly. The matter seemed to me simple enough. You have saved my life at great peril to yourself, and it seemed but natural to me that in your trouble, having none others to befriend you, your thoughts should turn to one who had sworn to be to the end of his life your faithful knight and servant. But, he went on more lightly, 
since you yourself did not send me the ring and message, what good fairy could unfock them to me? The good fairy was a very bad one, the girl said shortly, and I will rate and sound leave when I see him for thus adventuring without my consent. It was none other than Father Anselm, and yet, she added, he has suffered so much on my behalf that I shall have to forgive him. After your escape, my uncle and his passion was well nigh hanging the good priest in spite of his holy office, and drove him from the castle. He kept me shut up in my room for many weeks, and then urged upon me the marriage with his son. When he found that I would not listen to it, he sent me to St. Kenneth, and there I have remained ever since. Three weeks ago, Father Anselm came to see me. He had been sent for by Alexander of Lorne, who, knowing the influence he had with me, begged him to undertake the mission of inducing me to bend to his will. As he knew how much I hated John of Lorne, the good priest wasted not much time in entreaties, but he warned me that it had been resolved that unless I gave way, my captivity, which had hitherto been easy and pleasant, would be made hard and rigorous, and that I would be forced into accepting John of Lorne as a husband. When he saw that I was determined not to give in, the good priest certainly hinted, and here she colored again hotly, that you would, if sent for, do your best to carry me off. Of course I refused to listen to the idea, and chided him for suggesting so unmaidenly a course. He urged it no further, and I thought no more of the matter. The next day I missed my ring, which, to avoid notice, I had worn on a little ribbon round my neck. I thought at the time the ribbon must have broken and the ring had been lost, and for a time I made diligent search in the garden for it. But I doubt not now that the traitor priest, as I knelt before him to receive his blessing on parting, must have severed the ribbon and soul in it. God bless him, Archie said fervently. Should he ever come to Aberfilly, the warmest corner by the fire, the fattest capon, and the best soup of wine from the cellar should be his so long as he lives. Why, but for him, Lady Marjorie, you might have worn out months of your life in prison, and have been compelled to, unless to wed your son. I should have been a miserable man for life. The girl laughed. I would have given you a week, Sir Archie, and no more. That is the extreme time which our night and our days can be expected to mourn for the fairest lady. And now, she went on, changing the subject, think you we shall reach the pass across the Grampians before night? If all goes well, lady, and your feet will carry you so far, we shall be there by eventide. Unless by some chance encounter we need have no fear whatever of pursuit. It will have been daylight before the news of your flight fairly spread through the country, though, doubtless, messengers were sent off at once in all directions. But it would need an army to scour these woods, and as they know not whether we have gone east, west, north, or south, the chance is fate indeed of any party meeting us, especially as we have taken so straight a line that they must march without a pause in exactly the right direction to come up with us. At nightfall the party camped again on the slope of the Grampians, and the following morning crossed by the pass of Killicranky and made toward the Perth. The next night Marjorie slept in a peasant's cottage, Archie and his companions lying down without. Wishing to avoid attention, Archie purchased from the peasant the Sunday clothes of his daughter, who was about the same age and size as Marjorie. When they reached Perth he brought a strong horse, with saddle and pillion, and with Marjorie behind him and his band accompanying him on foot, he rode for Stirling. When he neared the town he heard that the king was in the forest of Falkirk, and having consulted Marjorie as to her wishes, rode directly thither. Bruce, with his followers, had arrived but the day before, and had taken up his abode at the principal house of a village in the forest. He came to the door when he heard the trampling of a horse. Ah, Sir Archie, is it you safely returned, and, as I half expected, a lady? 
"'This, sire,' Archie said, dismounting, "'is Mistress Marjorie MacDougall, "'of whom, as you have heard me say, "'I am the devoted knight and servant. "'She has been put in duress by Alexander of Lorne, "'because in the first place she was a true Scotswoman "'and favoured your cause, "'and because in the second place she refused to espouse his son John. "'I had borne her away from the convent of St. Kenneth, "'and as I used no force in doing so, "'no sacrilege has been committed. "'I have brought her to you in all honour and courtesy, "'as I might a dear sister,' and i now pray you to place her under the protection of the wife of one of your knights seeing that she has no friends and natural protectors here then when she has had time to think she must herself decide upon her future the king assisted marjorie to dismount fair mistress he said sir archibald forbes is one of the bravest and truest of my knights and in the hands of none might you more confidently place your honour assuredly i will do as he asks me and will place you under the protection of dame elizabeth graham who is now within having ridden hither to see her husband by this morning. But I trust, he added with a meaning smile, that you will not long require her protection. The king entered the house with Marjorie, while Archie, with his band, rejoined the rest of his party, who were still with the king. After having seen that the wants of those who had accompanied him had been supplied, he returned to the royal quarters. The king met him at the door and said, with a merry smile on his face, I fear me, Sir Archie, that all my good advice with regard to Mistress Mary Care has been wasted, and that you are resolved to make this Highland damsel, the niece of my arch-enemy, Alexander of Lorne, your wife. If she'll have me, Archie said stoutly, such assuredly is my intent. But of that I know nothing, seeing that, while she was under my protection, it would have been dishonorable to have spoken of love, and I know not of her sentiments towards me, especially seeing that she herself did not, as I had hoped, sent for me to come to her aid, and was indeed mildly indignant that another should have done so in her name. Poor Sir Archie, the king laughed, though a man and a valorous one in stature and in years, you are truly but a boy yet in these matters, and needed but half a night to see by the way she turned pale and red when you spoke to her that she loves you. Now look you, Sir Archie, he went on more seriously, these are troubled days, and one knows not what a day may bring forth. Gramps Tower is neither strong nor safe, and the sooner this Mistress Marjorie of yours is safely in your stronghold of Aberfilly, the better for both of you, and for me also, for I know that you will be of no more good to me so long as your brain is running on her. Look you now, she is no longer under your protection, and your scruples on that head are therefore removed. Best go in at once and ask her if she will have you. If she says yes, we will ride to Glasgow tomorrow or the next day. The bishop shall marry you, and I myself will give you your bonny bride. This is no time for wasting weeks with milliners and mantua-makers. What say you? Nothing would more surely suit my wishes, sire, Archie said, but I fear you will think me presumptuous. Not a bit of it, the king laughed. Highland lassies are accustomed to sudden wooing, and I doubt not when she prayed you last autumn from Dunsafnage, her mind was just as much made up as yours is at the, to the say of her heart. Come along, sir. So saying, the king passed his arm to that of Archie and drew him into the house. In the room which they entered, Marjorie was sitting with Lady Graham. Both rose as the king entered. My Lady Graham, the king said, this is my good and faithful knight, Sir Archie Forbes, whose person as well as repute is favorably known to you, desires to speak alone to, with the young lady under your protection. I may say he does so as my special begging, seeing that at times like these the sooner matters are put in a straight course the better. Will you let me lead you to the next room while we lead the young people together? Marjorie, Archie said, when he and the girl were alone. 
I fear that you will think my wooing rude and hasty, but the times must excuse it. I would fain have waited that you might have seen more of me before I tried my fate. But in these troubled days, who can say where I may be a week hence, or when I can see you again where I once separated from you? Therefore, dear, I speak at once. I love you, Marjorie, and since the day when you came like an angel into myself than Staffnage, I have known that I loved you, and should I never see you again could love no other. Will you wed me, love? But the king tells me, Sir Archie, the girl said, looking up with a half-smile, that he wishes you to wed the Lady Mary Kerr. It is a dream of the good king, Archie said, laughing, and he is not in earnest about it. He knows that I have never set eyes on the lady or he on me, and he was but jesting. When he said so to you, having known from me long ago that my heart was wholly yours. Besides, the girl said, hesitating, you might have objected to wed Mistress Kerr because her father was an enemy of yours. Why dwell upon it, Archie said a little impatiently. Mistress Kerr is nothing in the world to me, and I have clean forgotten her very existence, when by some freak or other she sent her retainers to fight under my command. She may be a sweet and good lady for what I know. She may be the reverse. To me she is absolutely nothing. And now, Marjorie, give me my answer. I love you, dear, deeply and truly. And should you say, yes, we'll strive all your life to make you happy. One more question, Archie, and then I will answer yours. Tell me frankly, had I been married care instead of Marjorie MacDougall, could you so far forget the ancient feud between the families as to say to me, I love you? Archie laughed. The question is easily answered. Were you your own dear self, it would matter not to me were your name Care or MacDougall, or Common, or aught else. It is you I love, and your ancestors or your relations matter to me not one single jot. Then I will answer you, the girl said, putting her hand in his. Archie Forbes, I love you with my whole heart, and have done so since I first met you. But, she said, drawing back, as Archie would have clasped her in his arms, I must tell you that you have been mistaken and that is not Marjorie MacDougall whom you wed, but Mary, whom her uncle or Alexander always called Mar Marjorie Care. Marjorie Care, Archie repeated in astonishment. Yes, Archie, Marjorie or Mary Care. The mistake was none of my making. It was you who called me MacDougall, and knowing that you had reason to hate my race, I did not undeceive you, thinking you might even refuse the boon of life at the hands of a care. But I believe that when you thought it over afterwards, you were suspected truth saying that it must assuredly come to your ears if you spoke of your adventure, even if you did not already know it, that Sir John Kerr and Alexander of Lorne married twin sisters of the House of Common. You are not angry, I hope, Archie. Angry, Archie said, taking the girl, who now yielded unresistingly in his arms. It matters nothing to me who you were, and truly I am glad that the long feud between our houses will come to an end. My conscience, too, pricked me somewhat when I heard that by the death of your brother you had succeeded to the estates, and that it was in despite of a woman, and he a loyal and true-hearted Scotchwoman, that I was holding Aberfilly. So it was you who sent the retainers from Ayr to me? Yes, Marjorie replied. Father Anselm carried my orders to them. I longed to know that they were fighting for Scotland, and was sure that under none could they be better led. And you have told the king who you are? Archie said. Yes, the girl said, directly we went entered. And you agree that we shall be married at once at Glasgow, as the king has suggested to me? The king has said as much to me, Marjorie said, coloring. But, oh, Archie, it seems dreadful, such an unseemly bustle and haste, to be betrothed one day and married the next. Who ever heard of such a thing? But the circumstances, Marjorie, are exceptional. 
We all carry our lives in our hands, and things must be done which at another time would seem strange. Besides, what advantage would there be in waiting? I should be away fighting the English, and you would see no more of me. You would not get to know me better than you do now. Oh, it is not that, Archie. Nor is it anything else, Archie said, smiling, but just surprise. With the King of Scotland to give you away, and the Bishop of Glasgow to marry you, none can venture to hint that there is anything that is not in the highest degree orthodox in your marriage. Of course I shall have to be a great deal away until the war is over and Scotland freed of her tyrants. But I shall know that you are safe at Aberfilly, which is quite secure from any sudden attack. You will have my mother there to pet you and look after you in my absence, and I hope that good father Anselm will soon find his way there and take up his abode. It is the least he can do, seeing that, after all, he is responsible for our marriage, and having, as it were, delivered you into my hands, ought to do his best to make you happy in your captivity. Marjorie raised no further objection. She saw, in truth, that, having once accepted Archie Forbes as her husband, it was in every way the best plan for her to marry him without delay, since she had no natural protectors to go to, and her powerful relations might stir the church to view her evasion from the convent as a defiance of its authority. Upon the following day the king moved with his force to Glasgow, which had already been evacuated by the English garrison, and the next morning Marjorie, for Archie through life insisted on calling her by the pet name under which he had first known her, was married to Sir Archibald Forbes. The Bruce gave her away and presented her with a splendid necklet of pearls. His brother Edward, Sir James Douglas, and other companions of Archie in the field also made the bride handsome presents. Archie's followers from Aberfilly and the contingent from Marjorie's estates in Ayr were also present, together with a crowd of the townspeople, for Archie Forbes, the companion of Wallace, was one of the most popular characters in Scotland, and the good city of Glasgow made a fete of his marriage. Suddenly, as it was arranged, a number of the daughters of the wealthiest citizens attired in white attended the bride in procession to the altar. Flowers were shown, and the bride and bridegroom were heartily cheered by a concourse of people as they left the cathedral. The party then mounted, and the king, his brother, Sir James Douglas, and some other knights, together with a strong escort, rode with them to Aberfilly. Archie had dispatched the messenger to his mother with the news directly of the arrangements had been made, and all was prepared for their coming. The tenants had assembled to give a hearty welcome to their lord and new mistress. Dame Forbes received her as she alighted from the pillion on which she had ridden behind Sir Archie, and embraced her tenderly. It was the dearest wish of her life that Archie should marry, and although, when she first heard the news, she regretted in his heart that he should have chosen the care, still she saw that the union would put an end to the long feud, and might even, in the event of the final defeat of Archie, be the means of safety for Archie himself and security for his possessions. She soon, however, learned to love Marjorie for herself, and to be content in every way with her son's choice. There was high feasting and revelry at Aberfilly that evening. Bonfires were burned in the castle yard, and the tenants feasted there, while the king and his knights were entertained in the hall of the castle. The next morning the king and his companions again mounted and rode off. Sir James Douglas was going south to Harry Galloway and to revenge the assaults which the people had made upon the king. There was a strong English force there under Sir Ingram Umfreville and Sir John de St. John. I will give you a week, Sir Archie, to take holiday, but can spare you no longer. We have yet scarce begun our work, for well nigh every fortress in Scotland is in English hands, and we must take as many of them as we can before Edward moves across the border again. I will not outstay the time, Sir Archie said. As we arranged last night, I will march this day week with my retainers to join Sir James Douglas and Galloway. End of chapter 20 
Recording by Gabrielle C.